Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This week on Dying Alive, everybody's old villains have become their new best friends. Ron Hextall is general manager. Brian Burke is in the front office. Can the Penguins win a game in regulation? No, is the answer so far. Uh, sources are saying that's not good. It's Dying Alive. Pat and Mike, sources are saying, my sources, my inside information says, you should be able to win some games in regulation. How big is this if it's true? Mildly important. Seems important. Seems like something they need to work on. Jesse Marshall of The Athletic in uh, old frosty Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Joined, as always, by Pat Damp. Patrick, uh, I, I do want to tell you uh, that uh, your facial hair is looking very strong. Thanks. I'm surprised you were saying that considering I, you know, shaved like a week ago <laughs> but it's, uh, that's what i'm saying dude like a lot of people the growth process is something that takes a year you know you really got to invest time into it and i feel like you're already you know, look at you, like this is that's good for a week hey what i what i lack in height i make up for in facial hair growth growth ability that if you were six foot tall and nobody could tell you anything <laughs> you'd be on stuff if only right mike darnay mike's tired today guys true you work hard you're a hard worker thank you and you have an odd schedule uh yeah yeah a little, Pat- little bit of both um i did get some time off yesterday thankfully um due to a cancellation and That's i ended up, I, uh, I slept for 10 and a half hours pensburg.com for michael is where you can find him um mike uh did you i, I know you uh shot some basketball today right i did question did you have the uh, pleasure of attending uh, a game at Our Lady of Sacred Heart at their home basketball court? Um, so today was a girls game. Did not get the grander that a boys game gets. <laughs> However, I did see a video uh, making the rounds on Thursday, maybe, Wednesday. Um, a guy who I have ran into at a boys game on the road, and I got to see the video of how they start the game with the introductions, and it's pretty daunting. Not to mention that they're probably the best team I have seen in three or four years. So um, I just got to, I got to give a shout out to the Olsh kids because, yeah. you know, if you're in like the greater Pittsburgh area, you know, you, you, if you're going to Olsh, you're probably, you're by moon, you know, Montour. Those are heavy hitters. McKee's parts of McKee's rocks. So rocks. Yeah. This is, this is a heavy hitting environment that you're yeah. in. I'm, I'm actually hoping to cover a game there on the road. And you go to school in Coriopolis. Yeah. <laughs> 
What uh, congratulations? What, ma- what makes their intros so daunting? Like I'm curious now. Um, so I'll have to send you the video. Um, I, I quote tweeted it earlier in the week, but they have um, they have all the lights down. Their colors are purple and yellow. They've got purple and yellow spotlights going. Um, some crazy music going, like extremely loud introductions for the for the home team. And I feel like this pet has a very German vibe. Yeah, right after the, the <laughs> it's just like it's something you would expect to see at like a club level basketball game in Germany. It's, Glo- yeah, it's Globo Jim's <laughs> intro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and as the road team, they're like starting guard, starting forward, starting center, blah blah blah. You're okay, your turn. Now Dolsh. And they've got the lights going, the sirens going, it's loud. Um and I feel like they I don't know if this is a regular thing, but it, I feel like it's at least making up for the lack of home court advantage that normally one would have without full capacity, if at all, well, this year. It, it, here's the other thing, too, Mike, is when your school's name is Our Lady of Sacred Heart, you've got to do what you can to try to intimidate the opposition yeah. in some other fashion, because that's just not, and, you know. Uh, and purple and yellow is not all that intimidating either, I don't think. It's like going to We Want You to Win the Game University. <laughs> <laughs> like, you got to come up with like a really intimidating mascot for that you know, school. You know They're, where and, where I don't know if it still is, but it used to be that way for high school hockey was Meadville. Like going going to play Meadville was a all up seventy nine. It was a nightmare because the whole town showed up, like everybody in town showed up, and just like Mike was saying, the intro was the same way. Like lights would go down, thunderstruck by ACDC would kick in. And like, oh, wow, it's a hell of an the, intro, the yeah. fans would be on top of you screaming and yelling. Then they'd introduce Meadville and the place was deafening. It was like, OK, so we're yeah. giving up one in the first like five minutes, right? Not a lot else going on up there in Meadville. No. Uh, Alex, shouts out to Allegheny College, though. I once uh, got really drunk there and ate an entire large pizza in one sitting. Uh, anyway, to the hockey. Well, you know, here's the the the, the good news. <laughs> we want to start. What do we want to start with first? Do we want to start with administrative uh, front office materials? Do we want to get into the bad hockey? I mean, we got to start with the biggest news, which is the front office, right? Like that's. I feel like the bad hockey is pretty. It's pretty big news. It, it, it is, but uh, I think we were all kind of taken back by one of the two moves that were made in the front office this past week, and. We're what four days late on talking about it. Well, let's use the benefit of hindsight uh, to reroute the events that uh, as they unfolded. Okay. Right to the best of our knowledge, uh, Jim Rutherford quits. I'm going to say that on this show. I feel like he's gotten off the hook. I feel like he's gotten off the hook from fan base. I feel like he's gotten off the hook from the media. I feel like he's gotten off the hook from the message boards. Uh, that's what happened. Like he quit eight games of the season for, I mean, the purpose of the quit as far as we could discern is it, you know, he just didn't like the way things were going for himself. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I, I, you know, I guess what, is it like, what's your sentiment about this? Like, and I, and to be fair, like I have no, I'm not here to passionately uh, embolden people to start yelling about it. I'm just shocked that like, rather than have like this aftershock-esque tsunami, it was like somebody threw a rock in a pond 
and people were like, maybe was it the distraction of having a new GM? Were people actually happy he was gone? What happened? Um, I think in, in regard to you saying there's like kind of getting a pass on it all, I think it's just that in a way, as shocking as it was, I don't think anyone was surprised because every day was could be whatever with Jim Rutherford, and this was just another one of those days where he decided that was what he wanted to do that day. Yeah, and I think I said it. It was either our last episode or the one before that. There is a lot of talk that, like, the enjoyment that Jim Rutherford got out of the job was coming to the rink every day, interacting with people, interacting with other staffs at games, interacting with his own staff on game day and at morning skates and all of that stuff, and occasionally taken to the road with the team and uh, scouting the teams they were playing when they were playing them on the road as well as talking to that team's front office on the road. And with COVID, all of that's gone, and... He just had a ton of time to sit around and think about things. And as I've talked to people about before, having time with yourself and your own thoughts sometimes isn't exactly the best course for anything. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's also a lot of stuff out there about, you know, aspects of the you know job administratively that weren't being done. Um you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, infrastructure. Yeah, all of it is infrastructure based. Yeah, all of it is infrastructure based. So, in our timeline, you know, he leaves, search starts. Uh, we know for sure. Here's what we know for sure: Kevin Weeks was was the candidate, right? Uh, Michael Fuda was in there. We know that uh, obviously Ron Hexall because he was the GM. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think like anyone really knows for sure that anyone beyond that. I mean, we know Mike Gillis had a, what I thought was actually a rather impressive application. Oh yeah. I I, I mean, like, you know, it, it got made fun of online because everybody has to prove how cool and jaded they are on the internet. But like, as far as like, what you would want to see from somebody like Gillis, what he wrote in his cover letter and presentation is what you want to see from somebody like that because it showed growth. It showed that he learned from the last position that he held, at least in theory. And that's a guy like him. That's what you want. Uh, yeah. If they were going to hire president of hockey operations, which they did, I would have preferred they hired him instead of Brian Burke, to be honest. Hmm. Who would you have made the, you'd have gone in just a different direction for GM then. Uh, no, I would have gone the same direction for GM, different direction for president of hockey operations. I understand. Okay, I understand. Um, well, so this brings us to this to this hockey operations thing, right? Because, you know, we'll never really, like, we'll never know what the state, so to speak, of, of said infrastructure was. Suffice to say the rumors are that it wasn't great. Um, we know also uh, purportedly that Dale Talon was asked to, you know, come help sort this out last year. And that got the kibosh from uh, uh, a couple people. So, you know, there's a real yearning there for somebody that can build out, uh, you know, a functional hockey operations department. If, in fact, this job doesn't cross over into on-ice personnel decisions in any way, uh, I think it's fine. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <clears throat> I also um, 
And I want to, I want to preface this by saying that this isn't from any source. This isn't any sort of reporter confirmation. This is purely a theory that I have, um, from a lot from just between reading a lot of people's takes and a lot of other things. I think Brian Burke, aside from the, um, infrastructure stuff that we're talking about, I think he exists as a buffer between Ron Hextall and David Morehouse. Because yeah, I mean that's possible. Sure. Well, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule that out either. Well, I, I don't have. I don't think that that Morehouse did any sort of like actual meddling or got too involved with with hockey ops or anything like that. But I do know that he was a gigantic champion of Jim Rutherford's. Like you know, I bring it up on the pod all the time. One of the best things the Penguins ever did was that 50th anniversary documentary, Pittsburgh is Home. And the few times that that Morehouse is on screen, he's constantly talking about how much he loves Rutherford and how how much of a fan of Rutherford's he was as a kid and how much of a fan he was in the last GM search of Jim Rutherford. And the guy's career before the Penguins was in politics. And politics is a game of power. And so for him... You know, there's got to be a part of him that was like, hey, I got this guy here, so I should have some influence over him. I think now he might have a similar thought, but then you have someone like Burke there to go, uh-uh, let, let the GM do his job. I'll tell you if there's an issue. Yeah, I don't, again, and I don't know if I can, I'm going to speculate on all that. I, I I think at the end of the day, you know, we know for sure that there's, there's, you know, any, I mean, they just didn't have anyone. I mean, that's really what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, and like and, I said, like you know, I said, I want to reiterate, that's purely speculative. It's a theory. I don't have any sources. Nobody brought that to my attention. Theory. Straight up theory. I think at the end of the day, you know, if Brian Burke having secretly been a part of this process the entire time, uh, it's difficult to fathom a situation. You know, that'd be like me hiring Mike for a job you know, take pictures and then sitting there behind Mike's back and saying, no, no, don't, don't, don't take them like that. You know, that doesn't make any sense, you know? And it's, I didn't, I'm not the expert. I hired him because he is, you know, you don't get up and grab the mic from your wedding singer and start screaming into it in the middle of the show. Um, Ron Hextall uh, is a guy who is responsible for a lot of what's happening in Philadelphia right now. And a lot of the talent that's on the ice there. Um, I talked to Charlie O'Connor, ex-guest of the pod, potential future guest again of the pod uh, from the Athletic, and I asked Charlie, uh, "What do you, what, what, you know, what's your take here? Like, who is Ron Hextall, the GM?" Uh, and Charlie said, "You know, a lot of complimentary things. You know, the guy embraces, I think, all modalities of player evaluation, but he mentioned the, the sort of coup de grace, gentlemen, of the situation, which was Ron Hextall's failure in Philadelphia." Uh, was in was in loyalty and over over loyalty to you know perhaps david hextall uh to certain defensemen on the roster uh you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and basically made the point is look if that is solved and he's learned that lesson and grown there uh he's potentially one of the best in the game so i guess that begets the question you know remembering the fact that ray shero's boat sank with dan bilesma on board uh, here in Pittsburgh, not that long ago, uh, you know, I mean, he's a pretty tantalizing prospect, I think. Yeah, I mean, last week when the when the hiring news came out, 
I saw a lot of chatter from the eastern side of the state about how um, this is a weird move because Ron Hextall got fired because of his lack of pulling the trigger and his inability to fire Dave Hextall. And I was like, well, I mean, can we can we give him a chance to see if he learned from the mistakes that he made? Because obviously, when you lose your job, you know what you did wrong. Um, so if he fixed those things, then I don't see what the issue is, why we can't at least wait and see how it goes. Yeah, and I also, I mean, the loyalty thing, that's that's a problem across most of hockey. Like, I'd say more often than not, there are guys in positions of general manager, president of hockey ops, coaching, whatever you want to call it, there's there's a ton of a, a ton of loyalty in in hockey. So, like it's to the point where you have to ask yourself: Is it loyal to a fault or is it just loyal? I think, like you said, Jesse, the Ray Shiro thing was loyalty to a fault with Dan Bilesma. He wasn't going to get rid of his guy. Uh, I think it was a little bit of loyalty to a fault uh, with Hextall and Dave Hextall in in Philly because that was his guy, but at the same time, they were still in the midst of, you know, their retooling rebuild. So it wasn't like they were going to hire some, you know, ace in the whole coach and, oh my God, now all of a sudden they won the Stanley cup. So it depends on how loyal he is and who he is loyal to. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, agree. I mean, the one thing you can say about the guy is that, uh, for sure he drafted talent and I think there's two different sides to this coin. Uh, he drafted the obvious talent that was there, you know, that sort of fell in a lucky way. And I point that out because, you know, and I'll use Ottawa as an example, right? Um, what is it, like three years ago now they drafted, like, Lassie Thompson, like, sixth or something like that. I don't remember what it was. I don't, was know, a, I don't even know who that is, so I think that proves the point that you're getting at. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, what I'm trying to say is, like, it's it's possible to have a good draft pick and botch it. You know, like it's definitely doable. And I don't think that Ron Hextall ever did that. Like, and you could say what you want about Nolan Patrick, but like nobody knew Nolan Patrick was going to have a migraine issue with a combine. You know, like no, that's not something that's predictable. You know, you can't fault Ron Hextall for that. Ooh. Nolan Patrick was the obvious right pick you know, in that circumstance. Yeah. All his projections had him with, uh, rightfully in that position to be drafted. It's like you, you, you can't predict what a guy's going to do once he gets to the NHL. And like you said, you especially can't predict what's going to happen with injury. Yeah. And um, Jesse, to, to further your point about it being possible to botch draft picks when talent falls to you, even, I think that's even more the case when you get into the late teens and the twenties of the first round of the draft. Well, let's go over because this is if we go back to I'm going to screw this up. So I apologize, Mike. <laughs> but if we go back to because I think the important thing here is that the Penguins, the reason I, I, I identify, you know, Hextall's Towns because we have these limited number of resources. You know, you'd hope that in a retooling like of this exact squad, you don't sacrifice right like everything in order to pull it off, you could at least keep some of those picks. But like Sanheim was a seven, I think 17 or 18 overall, right? 17. So that, yeah, the easy one, right? But Lindblom, 138. Mm-hmm. So I point that out because like, it, th- that's where the Penguins are picking. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, honestly, like that's, that's, that's what you're going to be dealing with. And like Povarov and Konechny were both you know, at the end of the day, you know, high, like high pick, like top 25, top 30 picks. So it's a little bit different. Um, Carter Hart, maybe the 50 ish, 48. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I think that there's a history of his picks being, you see less, I think Lindblom's the one really notable late rounder, like Morgan Frost, Nolan Patrick are both up there. I'm just going through. So like, I, I, I think the one thing that's notable to the same, like, is that a lot of his home runs didn't come outside of 150. Yeah. Well, I think too, if you add in, you know, you still have uh, Patrick Alvin in the front office. And if Burke and company can make the scouting department a little bit better, the Penguins are already pretty okay at doing well in the late rounds of the draft, as we can see by a lot of the contributors on the roster right now. So if you add in that and Hextall, I think they're in a good position. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be tough on Robbie Brown and alumni events. Going to be... Uh, I, I, I love that that was the fan base's reaction, though, that Im- everybody immediately went to Robbie Brown. Right. Um, I, I also have to dive into this... I distinctly remember 1989 Paul Staggerwald saying on TV that before games, Ron Hextall would do primal screams uh, in the locker room. <laughs> now, I don't know that that's true. And I'll ask. I'll find out. I'll get to the bottom of it. But I want to know if he does it before big trade calls. It's, I, I feel like there's no middle ground here. It's either extremely true or extremely made up. I uh I just did a cursory Google search and it didn't produce anything. But yeah. <laughs> internet's not on Paul Steigerwald's side here. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so uh, Brian Burke, we, we got to get right to it. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, the first thing that happened, and I think Pensburg was one of the uh, Mike sites that jumped in on this right away was a lot of quoting about the. The first thing that a lot of people quoted was the Pittsburgh model my ass speech. Naturally. Which you'd expect. But then also more recently you had the Pittsburgh's window is closed speech. Which I um I personally pushed back on that whole narrative. Um, bringing up the whole broad spectrum argument about how poison sports analysis on television is. Can I fire – can I, can I do a, a pipe bomb on the podcast real quick? By all means. You heard scuttlebutt that uh, Michael Fuda's stuffed penguin didn't go over well. But Brian Burke telling you your team can't win anymore. No issue with that. <laughs> no issue with that. But goddamn, a guy pulls out a stuffed penguin on the air. Oh, that's just that's too much. Somebody cut C- somebody cut CM Jesse's microphone here. Give me a break. Any, I don't know if that's true, but like, here's this. I was on Twitter. You know, you see things. People say stuff on Twitter, and like, well, well, I don't know if well, it's true. Well, but and, and, if it's true, that's dumb. And, because and, I thought that whole thing. And was the hilarious. other thing, and I, I, I talk about this all the time on on this podcast on on Twitter. Like, everybody wants the NHL to have more fun and be more like goofy or or with more drama, like the NBA kind of way. And as soon as it happens, 
everybody in the NHL recoils. It's like loses him. Absolutely loses him. Like, guys, you either want it or you don't. Like you can't get like you can't sit here and talk about how you want the stuff to be more popular and more fun and more drama and all this stuff. And then as soon as it happens, you're like, well, I never. I'll tell you right now, mark my words, there'll be a discussion this year that Nils Holglander is too disrespectful because his hands are too good. I'm telling you right now, someone in Vancouver is going to write that article. Yeah. Pro- or in Canada specifically. Yeah. Someone probably. in Canada, might not be in Vancouver, someone in Canada will write an article, is Nils Holglander's disrespectful dangles causing the Canucks games? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's going to come. It's going to happen. Uh, so I, you know, it makes it, everybody probably listening to the show, oh, Jesse, you hate Brian Burke. I don't like, I, I really don't, you know, I just don't view the game the same way Brian Burke does, <laughs> you know, and he's got a wealth of experience. The guy there's, I'm telling you right now, administratively speaking, I don't know that you could do better. I just don't, I don't know that you could do better. The guy can build a damn hockey ops department. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And in a way I'd almost rather have him than Dale Talon. I think if you line the two up and you had me pick one and you said, hey, one of these guys is going to run hockey ops, I'm going to pick the one that I think is going to keep Sam around, and that ain't Dale Talon. I don't think Brian Burke's getting in there and getting rid of Sam. Like, he may not be an analytics guy, but uh, I don't think he's coming in and cleaning house on it either. I think he's smart enough to know that it's got its value. He could poo-poo it, you know, all he wants, but, you know, he just picked a general manager that, you know, I think is – you know, open to it. So, uh, anyway, that's just my two cents. Well, and that, I just don't view the same game. And that's, that's the rub, like right there. What you said is that he just helped hire a guy who may not be a disciple of it, but certainly uses it. So like, are you just going to undercut that guy at every turn? Like, I don't think that's like, Especially for a guy that knows how to build a hockey ops department, you're not going to undercut your general manager at every turn. Like at that point, he probably would have told them to hire somebody, somebody different, somebody like uh, I can't, I can't even think of somebody off the top of my head, but like somebody that doesn't do. We get a puppet. Yeah, he he right? would have got, no, yeah, got somebody that would have been a yes man for him, and I don't think there's there any go. indication that Hextall is going to be that guy. And I mean. It, it, it really all comes down to how much influence on personnel is Brian Burke going to have. That's it. You just summed it up, Patrick. I think you just summed it up. We got to get to the hockey. Uh, at some point. Really? Yeah, I feel like we do an hour on this. Um, I don't know where to begin. Um, the Penguins can't get a two-goal lead. Uh, they cannot win a game in regulation. I can see a situation. Picture this. Months from now, the Penguins have gotten in the playoffs. The first game they play goes to overtime and just never ends. We're like 57 years old. They're still playing that game. New players, whole new franchises. Can you imagine if the Penguins played like street league and had to win by two? Never happened. No. No, we'd be here for months. It'd be over. When we had two rules, um, I will say though, you know, this really did just reinforce the whole like going from three on three to a shootout is just so stupid. And then people tweet me and they say like, "Well, dude, look how gassed these players are at the end of three on three. Yeah, because the coach is only using four guys. Like if you if you expanded it by five minutes, you'd force them to pick somebody else 
they could go out there and skate for a minute and not have these star players be dog tired at the end of the thing. You know, I mean, that's that's part of the issue right there. Yeah, when the season started and their third game had that really good shootout in Washington, I, I said how I wasn't fully against it, but at the time I wasn't expecting to see three shootouts a week. Yeah, and as somebody that was forced to play uh, three-on-three hockey this morning, it is tiring, so. It's just trash. <laughs> I am trash, don't worry. Is there, I mean, is there anything worse in, the, in waking up in the morning, like, and having to go, like, now in your situation, you know, you're coaching, Right. But like, I'll tell you a story. It's my twenty-first birthday. Oh boy! Okay, we're off to a, we're off to a good start there. My twenty, yeah, twenty-first birthday. Uh, down the island sports center, playing roller down there, four on four, right? And the, and by the way, that's a big rink. People don't realize like Neville. I maintain Neville is bigger than every other rink in the area. Well, they are, as far as they are as far as Olympic I know, size. They're right? the only, at least ice wise, they're the only place in. Pittsburgh that has an Olympic ice sheet. Yeah. So anyway, um, Miller High Life back then, boys. Uh, the champagne of beer. Solid, uh, solid that's beer. What, I was like, hey, I'm telling you, and it was cheap. Still is. Uh, you know, like I was one of the first one of my friends to turn 21. So everybody was like, well, you like I, you know, I had to go and buy everything. We had a game the next morning, 10 a.m. Uh, nobody came for obvious reasons. I was there. <laughs> I think we had, I think we had five or six. Pat, you know, it's just one of those days where it's not a good day to have five or six in a four-on-four game. You know, I feel, uh, I feel the statute of. It, it, hold on, sorry, I don't want to interrupt your story, but I got a good one to follow. We can tell real quick before we move on. Puked on the bench is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> so, right on the bench, one of those industrial-sized uh, garbage bags to keep there, you know, for the tape and oh, everything yeah. is hurled right in that sucker. So all that highlight. The whole equipment, because you know you sweat the alcohol out, you know, so it stays with you for a week or two after that. You to, you know, you don't clean your equipment. Oh, it god. smells like booze. You know. Oh like, god. So anyway, that's the worst day of my so, life. <laughs> when I was similar, when I was playing at IUP, um, you know, ACHA club hockey. It's it's serious, but it's definitely not serious. So. We would always do these three-game road swings through Ohio where we would play Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, and then go back to IUP on Sunday afternoon. And Sunday morning was always the funniest day to be a veteran on the team, like if you were a junior or a senior, because you went out Saturday. Like wherever our hotel was, you found the closest bar, called a cab or Uber, and went to the bar. And... (laughs) We would all pull up to the rink and like our coach would read out the lineup and you would just hear like, all right, scratches today. So and so. Oh, thank Christ. So and so. Yes. <laughs> and then there was one morning where he was like, and damp, you're scratched. I was like, thank you, God. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, the ability to you know, tie one on back in the day. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, let's do this. Uh, Word Association <clears throat> Penguins edition. I'm going to say a player and you using uh, no words, just nonverbal grunts and <laughs> exasperated sighs. Tell me how their performance has been this year. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. John Marino. Eh. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, for me, it's more of like a, uh, I think like, cause here's the thing. I, it's, it's hard though, because it, how do you evaluate a guy that's not even playing on the right side of the ice? You know what I mean? Like it's a situation where you say, Hey, uh, that would have been really good uh, if he was on his forehand. You know, I mean, that, that was like half the problem, especially I think with his coverage in the defensive zone, he was sort of drifting um, over to where he, uh, you know, normally would be. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like it, he, like it's hard to do any real evaluation of the defense right now, save for I would say Chris Letang, because there's just been so many injuries that it's it's hard to really put any kind of analysis there. You know, it's rare that we get to break news on this podcast, you know, because you never recorded at weird hours. Uh, but Patrick Wine just got in a fight. Uh, so I think his tortorealization has been completed. We – Is that what happens? Is that – once it's like a Frankenstein situation where you, know, you come back from the dead and you fight, and then that means it's it worked. Yeah, I mean he already got Mike Keenan in the first what week in Columbus. Yeah, so that's the first part, and now I think this means uh, I think this means it's complete. Anyway, uh, all right. Uh, so we did John Marino, uh, Jason Zucker. Huh. Yeah. Me, this one's a nah, nah. I don't like that one. Uh, I, something ain't right. I don't know what it is. I can't figure it out. Uh, remember, I said at the beginning of the year, I thought he was going to score at a forty goal pace. Well, I'm an idiot. <laughs> something ain't right, but it feels like he. It feels like the last couple games he's been coming around. So I'm, um, I'm intrigued. See, Pat, it's intriguing you say that because, like, for me, I feel the opposite. I felt like. Uh, you know, go looking back at like Philadelphia, those early Rangers games, there were a lot of noticeable scoring chances that maybe were like were whiffs or you, you could look at it and be like, ah, you know, the old uh, grip in the stick there. But like, no, I look back at the Islanders game the other night and I see like a lot of Kapanen and Malkin sort of making that train move, but I have noticed him less. But then again, maybe it's like this old, uh, confirmation biases i I think too he's doing a good job of opening up space for those two to use their speed and he's keeping it simple for the most part which when you're in the position he's in right now that's really all you can do like and i would like to see some more goal scoring out of him because that's pretty much why they went out and got him but i i can't 
when 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 he's playing with those two guys and opening up space for him, I can't ask too too much more of him. Yeah, and, and you know, speaking of, I mean, opening up space, you know, Kasperi Kapanen, yay, uh, probably uh, the biggest surprise. I would say one of the bigger surprises I think, so far this year. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about prior to the season starting was our concern collectively, really over his ability to think the game and maintain a, a healthy working relationship with Sid. Um, you know what guys, this, this, we may never see it. Uh, I think this, this, his home, uh, may be already found, uh, you know, on this Malkin line, you know, and, and all those concerns about, you know, quote unquote, thinking the game or, you know, uh, processing at a high level, it doesn't really, it kind of goes out the window when you play with, with Malkin in a sense, really. Yeah. And I think the concerns at the time were valid and they have been snuffed out pretty quickly. I actually think Mike, the, the concerns have been proven correct by the fact that he's not playing up there and like, hasn't even really gotten a look there at all. Yeah. I mean, what's the amount of, I mean, what's his total ice time with sit at even strength, probably under 10 minutes, right? It has to be. And I also think it's, that's, that's a little bit of the area of like, you know, spiking the football, despite the fact that you were just tossed it after the person that scored the touchdown. Like, yeah. I like there, ha- like we were all like, oh, I don't know. Can you like, I mean, even though I kind of was one of the people who was like, I think he might be able to be okay with Sid, but still like a lot of people were like, oh, I don't know if he's going to be able to play with Sid. And now he's playing with Gino. People are like, see, told you he wasn't able to play with Sid. And it's like, well, it didn't happen. So uh, what are you getting at? Yeah. Uh, I've been, you know, happy with what I've seen from him. Uh, yeah, he's been great. The speed, the, the speed's been there for sure. Um, you know, he's been able to get behind that defense a couple times, uh, which will keep, you know, I think anybody honest on the blue line when you know you have a forward that can get behind you pretty quickly. Um, you know, probably in that sense, probably could have a couple more breakaway or odd man break goals to his name. You know, already this year. Um, but I've, I've been encouraged, you know, definitely tough in the boards, uh, built like a brick shit house, just difficult to knock off the puck. You know, it's almost like you just bounce off them. Uh, but you know, I, I, you know, like we said, I, you know, I think, um, you know, none of us really ever considered the option of playing Brian Rust with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel, you know, I think splitting up. Rustin Malkin was almost at one point, you know, before the season started an unfathomable outcome, but, uh, boy, is, is that top line good? Yeah. I think, I think when, um, I think when the season started, I want to say it was you who we were going through lines and you would just rattle that off as second nature. Right. Um, you know, now maybe this was, you know, and here's the thing about like data, right? Um, this year in particular is going to be crazy because all the opponents are the same, right? So, oh, line A took an ugly one there at the end of that fight. (laughs) Um, it was Brandon Hagel that he fought. Anyway, long story short, you know, the data will be a little bit crazy and maybe this was just an Islanders thing, but man, did that Crosby line just eat them alive in those two like to the point that there were just some shifts that looked like a power play or not a penguins power play, but like a good one. 
you know, like one that creates scoring chances. Uh, but I, I was super impressed. I mean, the, and look, it's not surprising. We, the, the Jake Gensel partnerships, uh, you know, one that's long, we've talked about, you know, um, a long, long time. But um, I think the surprise is that, you know, Brian Rust sort of last year uh, finding himself as a bit of a puck mover and distributor is one of the things that's really making that, that soup taste so good. Yeah, that's like, that's huge. And, you know, getting the puck to Crosby or getting the puck to Gensel, especially with the way Brian Rust plays a straight line game, like that's worth its weight in gold on that line. Um, Mike, we got to pay homage to the bottom six who have just been, for the most part, as good as expected. Uh, man, Teddy Bluger has really developed into a hockey player. Yeah, he's always noticeable when he's on the ice. Every time. And it's not because his line mates are fast and physical and create all kinds of hell out there. He himself is a savvy, is a savvy guy. Yeah, and, uh, and with, a, with a bottom depth player, it's like the opposite it's good if you don't notice a fourth line player. It's very good when you do notice a fourth line player. Uh, Zach Aston Reese, Pat, back in the lineup, I kept telling everybody that would listen. I don't get the Zach Aston Reese dislike. It's so weird to me, man. What bo- like this dude is a defensive behemoth. What bothers me on that is like one, it's such a it's such a cliche Yinzer hockey take that like. Oh well, he doesn't score goals or throw big hits, so obviously he's worthless. And it's like, no. And also, like, have you guys not watched him? Like, like aside from what you were saying, being a defensive behemoth, like he does have some good offensive instincts, as we saw in his first game back. Like, that's what you want out of a guy in that position. Like, now if we get to the point where we gotta elevate him to the top six, then our problems are much, much larger than Zach Gaston Reese. But you put him in the bottom six, I'll take that every day of the week. Yeah. I mean, and I you know, again, the Selkie trophy is an award that requires a semblance of offensive competency, which is crazy when you look at the definition of it. Uh, <laughs> if it was just an award that you handed out based on solely on defense, I guess Reese would be the winner. It's it's got uh, it, or at least in the final three. It, you know, it's that it's forwards that can score goals and win faceoffs, and have good defensive reputations, whether or not they're valid. Right. Uh, sh- shout out to Aston Reese's number change. This year's Alexander Barkov's year, boys. No matter what happens, he it's could it's tank. His, it's his turn. He could tank. The second half of the season, but you already the conversation has already taken place. This is dowdy year. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of dowdy, Pat, and this is off the Penguins discussion, uh, but we might as well talk about it. But he's gonna make this freaking Olympic team, dude. I can't wait. It's gonna be unbelievable. I can't wait. Like he is literally getting absolutely caved in in Los Angeles. Well, and I think not not just the dowdy thing, but I think you're gonna see that on all the Olympic teams is a lot of the reputation guys who shouldn't be there. Uh, what, what, what kills me on that one. And I, I'm, you know, I should be happy about this cause I'm an American, but like Dowdy's going to make the Canadian team reputation alone does not belong there. And there's Carrie price is going to make it as a goalie. 
And yeah, but mm-hmm. but here's the difference: Carey Price is in the middle of a pretty big renaissance. Like Carey Price looks like Carey Price again. Yeah. Dowdy looks like yeah. he should be your sixth, maybe seventh defenseman at this point. And I mean that for yeah. LA, not Canada. Uh, I think sixth is a stretch, Pat. <laughs> like honestly, yeah, seventh, eighth. I mean, I I don't remember the numbers. I had looked them up. Somebody was tweeting them out too. Uh, perhaps it was Dom Lishizen. Probably was Dom. Uh, but he's like there was like a like I think he's controlling like he's out there like thirty six percent of the shots and expected goals. It's bad. It's just poo poo. It's doo doo. It's Jack Johnson bad. It's probably worse. It's, it's to the point where like I kind of I kind of got into this the other day on Twitter about when with the Burke comments about weight and hitting and all that. And I know you did too, Jesse. But like it's to this point in hockey where we will overvalue things in a wild way. Like Dowdy had like two, three good seasons and we were ready to turn him into the greatest defenseman of all time. And he has skated on that for the last six years. Yeah. Um, since we're talking about defensemen that uh, everybody hates right now, we probably have to bring up Chris Letang. Uh, here's the thing, you know, with Letang, we're kind of back to the discussion about the big mistake. Right. Because that's that's really what it is. Um, you could probably add an S on the end of that now. <laughs> uh, and, and I think, you know, the argument was always, uh, well, you know, sure, the big mistake exists. Um, uh, but, you know, for the, the overwhelming majority of the data says he's still controlling the game and yada, yada. Uh, that's not always true now, though. So. Um, what's going on? What do we take? What, what's let's have like a nuanced discussion about it because I think that's the one thing that like the city as a whole lacks. You know, like you don't really have a lot of like really honest to goodness discussion about Chris Letang without like this vitriol from uh, both sides of the coin. The truth, you know, is then there somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, and and can be discussed. You you just, you just don't ever get to it when there's all the screaming and yelling. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so what's what's the Latang grade for the year? I'd say he's at a C right now. Um, we have to admit he has not been good. Like, I I don't think he's been disastrous as a lot of people have been making him out to be, but we have to admit that he has not been good and. As the team's number one defenseman, he needs to be better. And I think what you said, Jesse, is spot on. Everybody liked to focus on the big mistake when it came to Chris Letang. Makes the big mistake, and that's the only thing that stands out in your head. There's been multiple of them in certain games, and they are very noticeable, and they are very much a problem. And the way I see it right now, the biggest problem with that is that I could always excuse the big mistake because there would be 28 minutes of him doing a lot of things incredibly well. Those things he does incredibly well have not been as prevalent this year, so that's kind of where I stand right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the good generally outweighed the bad, but now it's almost more of a middle ground. Yeah, and I think in a game to... Uh, we'll go back to the Islanders game. 
for a minute um, and that that third goal for the Islanders. You know, it was at a point and, it, you know, P.O.J. got walked. Yes. We've we got to talk about it, but he yes. got walked. He's also a rookie going one on one with by Matt a, Barzell. I, yeah, I was going to say there's a difference between being walked by a fourth line player and being walked by Matt Barzell. Right. I mean, that's, you know, we got to and that's probably, you know, a lot of people really well. Not a lot of people, but there were some people who said, well, you kind of let POJ off the hook. And I was like, well, I think it's kind of obvious here. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, do we, do we really need to analyze it? I mean, even if you're POJ there, you know, you got taken to the woodshed, but you just tip your cap and hope for a better Get back to work. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Um, but what I was trying to get at with this was the, the pinch that Latang had that sort of precipitated that whole situation. And what made it a, a noteworthy pinch for me was the fact that. You know, it's a 2-2 game, and your team, momentum-wise, and you know as well as you know as, as I do, Pat, like, you, you get us, even at a beer league, you get a sense of when your team has momentum, you know? You know when it exists, and it's like, you know, the lift, you live to fight another shift, right? Recognize the situation. If you don't win that puck, you got Matt Barzell going against your rookie partner in a game where your team's been just literally racking up shots nonstop for the last 10 minutes. Well, it was, it was an unnecessary pinch in the sense that like they had had possession for a little bit. Like you didn't have to go overly aggressive, just keep the possession, whether it's bank it back down low, throw it across to your partner, flip it in low, go for a shot on net. It was one of those pinches where you're like, what? Like this is wildly unnecessary. You don't need to do this. And it's, it's the fact that he has, stopped taking calculated risks like he was all like an underrated part of Chris Letang's game over the past few years is he was very good at the calculated risk he would do things that like you would look at and go oh my god if that went sideways like we'd be in a lot of trouble but because he was Chris Letang he would take that risk and it would work out in his favor and they're not working out in his favor right now that's a big issue it's really what it comes down to uh and, and you know Another thing to take into consideration here is is how wonky things were from the start because Brian Dumlin, who's been out, obviously we haven't talked about him a lot. Rocky road for him at the start of the year too. Yeah, when when your defense partner that you've consistently been with for as long as those two have is off to a rocky start, like that's just a recipe for disaster. The last nugget here before we move on is goaltending who wants to start <laughs> i think we, we could use anybody to start right now so i i'm no you know i'm no expert and i you know a lot of goaltending you know to me is voodoo and i don't i'm not a positional analyst um but i think when i look at tristan jari and i try to pick out you know what's wrong I don't know that you just settle on one thing, guys. I mean, you know, probably could mention the rebound control. Um, I think there's times where he's been in his net a little bit too deep. I think there's been times where he's uh, uh, been over aggressive. Uh, is it the whole kit and caboodle for you? I think so. Yeah. Uh, he just he hasn't been good. Like just does, he just doesn't look comfortable. I'll throw this one at you guys too. Have you noticed, you know, his puck playing ability at all? Not one bit. No. That's the big one for me, right? Um, that was, you know, sort of the straw that was, you know, supposed to stir the drink with him as, yeah, as your starter. Yeah, kind of goes back to the same thing with Latang. If that was still working well and helping fuel the 
movement out of the defensive zone, you could maybe forgive some of the other stuff, but when that's bad and everything else is bad, it's just not. Yeah, and and, and this is more of an intangible type thing, but he he just felt like he had a lot more confidence last year in the net, and this year it looks like everything's a hesitation or a second guess, and as a starting goaltender, you can't be that. Is um, is Casey DeSmith playing above a level that you uh, kind of had uh, at expectation for him? I'd say a little bit. Yeah, no. Uh, I think he's a very capable backup goalie. So, like, you know, it almost feels like you're wasting starts, you know, in a sense, because I don't expect him to be able to carry the lion's share of games. But the way Jari's playing, he might have to, and I think we get another month or two in, and if it's still the case, then we're in we're in for some trouble. Yeah. You have to, uh, yeah, at this point, you have to give him the net until he gives you a reason not to. And uh, it's not as, we talked about this before the, even, the season even started, it's not a situation where you can let somebody figure things out as they go. Uh, that's not going not gonna to work out. Um, no, there's, there's no room for the... Like, uh, you know, he's got he's to take some time to work it out because those two weeks can spell either you're going into the draft lottery or you're going into the playoffs. Uh, coming up down the bank here, Capitals afternoon Sunday, 3 o'clock game, I think. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. 3 o'clock, yeah. Capitals again Tuesday and then uh, back to another series against those pesky Islanders. Uh, just for a peek around the the corner here. Uh, yes, um, the the next eight games for the Penguins are all between the Capitals and the Islanders. Yeah, so um, get, get comfortable. Familiarity, you know, breeding breeding uh, contempt here as always. Uh, you know, I wanted to give the only other note I had that I, I wrote down for myself. I hid it from you guys <laughs> um, about the Penguins that I wanted to mention was Callie Klang. Um, now Callie Klang's on loan. Right now in hockey Allsvenskan, which is the second division, basically, right of the SHL, and he's place he's playing on a team that's not good. It's really it's really a bad team, uh, and has been bad uh, for the majority of the year. And he was in a pretty volatile environment, uh, posting right now a two thirty seven goals against a nine twenty one save percentage, and has lifted uh, that team up pretty decently. He's got an eleven and thirteen record right now. Can he, uh, and can he come play? I was just going to say that, like, <laughs> you know, get him over here now, get him, you get that burn a year off that entry level contract. Um, Mike, I think we got a lot of mail. No, good bit. We want to, uh, uh, dive in and, and drop the beats. Um, <laughs> Meta asks, uh, Zach Aston race for Selkie 2021. We kind of touched on that already. Too early to say. Yeah. Hang on to it though. Keep it handy. Um, flagrant swag asks, tell us how old you are without using numbers. I see flagrant swag has been on TikTok lately. Um, my answer is the breakfast club. Without using numbers. 
You'd think this would be good for me because I suck at math. Mm. I remember playing Duck Hunt. That's a good one. My first gaming in that in that uh, vein, Jesse. My first gaming console was a Sega Genesis. Hmm. Uh, Chris Hines asks: Is Jordan Stahl the new Bob Gaines? <laughs> that is That's funny. funny. I'm sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, Dominion Seventeen asks: Jesse, how was it being on the Steve Dangle podcast? A lot of fun. Great guys, uh, Adam, Jesse, and Steve. Uh, thanks for having me on, and um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you did a hell. Of, um, you, another, you did a hell of a job. That was a good listen. Thanks. Uh, uh, Jeff asks, "What are the parts slash ingredients of your perfect burger?" Ooh, I like a good breakfast burger. I like my burger to have uh, a slightly runny egg and bacon on it. Um, I do like bacon on mine as well, but I'm gonna go like um, bacon cheddar and barbecue mike that's my second favorite burger it's, it's always a good burger you know what else you could do is throw an onion ring on that bad uh, i was gonna say or like um onion straws yeah great a great thing to have on hand when you're grill especially when you're grilling burgers is montreal spicy seasoning i could see that it's it, it, like it's one of those things that shouldn't work but oh does it ever now, Montreal's seasoning is unbelievably good it's really good very versatile but uh, I'm with you guys. Like breakfast burger, can't miss. And same thing with any kind of like onion, fried onion, barbecue, all day. Um, David James has two questions. First is, what's your favorite De La Soul record? I don't have one. I don't. I don't really mess with De La Soul I, like that. I don't know who De La Soul is. So I know them from. Um, you know, you know De La Soul. Um, like, yeah, like, me, myself, and I. I guess that would probably – oh, he said record. Yes. So I don't even know, like, what record me, myself, and I is on. I know um, um, I know them, I think – didn't they appear on Chappelle show one episode? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, all Good was another one. that Shaka Khan was in All Good. That was a, a hell of a good song. But I don't know the name of the record, so I can't give you an answer. That's only two Day of the Soul songs I really know. Now I got to go listen to Day of the Soul, I guess. Um, his second question was, if you could combine any two Penguins players taking both of their best traits in a new hybrid player, who would they be? But he notes that you lose those two players singularly. Interesting. I would want to put Crosby's hockey sense with Mario Lemieux's like, size and finesse. Now, see, I'm going to change the rule here, though, Pat, because I think the idea is you have to pick two roster players. Like, like currently? Right? Yeah, because then, like, now you're trying to compensate for the loss of both of them. You know what I mean? Okay, that's fair. That's totally fair. That's, I just thought it would make it more challenging, in essence. Hmm. I would combine. Yeah, then come back to me. Wait, what? I said then come back to me. You guys go. I got to think about this now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to say, if you could take, like, Mike Matheson, right, who most people are, like, mad about, and then take, like, meld him with Marcus Pedersen and, like, all the good parts of him that aren't, like, crazy out of sorts defensively, that'd be, that'd be a great improvement for the team. You already have too many defensemen. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this 
I'm, I'm making the rules here. So, um, I'm going to take Mike Matheson and apply Cody Cece's cap hit to him. <laughs> wow. And contract status. Yeah. Mike wins. That's a, a good one, a, yeah. What a finesse move. <laughs> Got to be careful when you do business with Darnay. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I would say... I would, I would combine 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 both goaltenders together and hope they can stop the puck. <laughs> oh, another good one from Mike. I wouldn't hate try. I, I'd have to figure out exactly how I'd want to do it, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind finding a way to combine Gensel and Malkin. See, but I don't want to lose either. That's why I was right. touching Crosby and right. Malkin because like, then, like, you got to lose one of the two, you know. But but the way I see it, like you're losing one of the two, but you're also kind of, you know, making a hybrid player that's going to be a lot better. A hybrid super beast, right? Like, like if you could get like Malkin's brute force, like his physical ability to take over a game with Jake Gensel's hockey sense, and it, like you'd have a unstoppable beast. Yeah. Um, C. O'Leary asks: Should the Penguins sign J.J. Watt, and would they put him as a fourth line grinder or in sheltered minutes on the bottom pair? So, can I? Uh, can I ask a question? Can I ask a question? Well, first of all, I'd probably be better than Ryan Reeves. I <laughs> want to know: Can the Steelers legitimately pull this off? Does anybody know? There, like I haven't really looked into he, it. He would leave. He would be leaving a lot of money on the table. But if he wants to, he could. Yeah. It, so it comes down to like the cap part. Of yeah, it. it's it's it, all cap. Does like is he willing to play for peanuts to play with his brothers? Probably, right? You'd think so. At this point in his career, maybe? Yeah. Plus, he's a good guy, right? He would have to take a tremendous pay cut in the Penguins. Maybe we'd get him on the show. The Steelers would also have to, like, cut a lot of people because they're still well over the cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a big problem. I um, I made a point to somebody, though, that if they can make it happen, they'll sell enough jerseys to make up for whatever they have to figure out. I'd take them, though. 100%. Uh, Daniel asks, there'd be a guy in this strip district that would have a leather jacket with like all the watt numbers on the back. Yeah, it looked you know like, I mean? it, it, and it like, looked like a Letterman jacket that had like 15, 16, 17, except it would have 90, 99 and 44. Exactly. Yep. You already know what I'm talking Derek's about. Derek's just on the sideline. Like, I'm so happy to be here. You guys. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Daniel asks, do the Penguins start trying to acquire more draft picks since Hextall's most positive impact is in the draft? So, Daniel, I don't know that they'll try to get more as much as they'll just try to keep the ones that they currently have. Yeah, I think once we get to near, like, and I mean really near the end, like not where we are right now, like really near the end of the Crosby, Malkin, Latang era, then they're going to start stockpiling picks. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I yeah. don't think right now they really have the ability to get more because they don't really have any. If they were to make moves to get picks, they're not going to have anybody left to play. And the people that in the the way they'd have to acquire picks, they'd have to move out people who would help them win right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Laura asks, "What is the weirdest thing your pets slash pets do?" I was actually thinking about this this morning. Because I had to get up early for hockey practice. I'm fairly certain my dog can tell time. Oh, there's zero question, dude. Yeah. That's 100% circadian rhythm. 100%. Well, because, like, when I, like, because Mike knows this because we both do this at work. Like, both of us have start times that'll be at 2 a.m. 
when I wake up at 2 a.m., my dog's like, yeah, we're not doing this. Like, just lays in my bed like, yeah, you go do your thing. I'm sleeping. I got up at like 5.45 this morning to get ready for practice. And she was like, oh, yeah, it's time to start today. Let's go. And I was like, it's just <laughs> as dark as it would be when I start my job. What are you doing? Yeah, they know. Moved into a new house last week, as you guys well know. I've been an off dying alive trying to get settled. And it's really like Mike, the cat, has a lot of neurotic and anxious tendencies already. Like I got – so I re- when I rescued him, uh, there was a woman in Carrick who had a single-bedroom home with like 65 cats in it. Oof. And he was in it in that house. So like that comes with like a lot of PTSD and shit. You know, like a lot of the stuff that he does – anxiety wise is driven by this fear of there being other animals in his space which is understandable given the fact he's fighting for his life you know uh so moving him has like been a really like i've upheaved everything that he knew for like you know six seven years and you know switched it over but now it's funny to like watch him form new routines you know and like figure out like new things to do like in this place um, but it's been a challenge. So like find, find new little crevices to hide out. Yeah. But like, I've noticed like, he's always had this thing where if one floor is carpeted and then like the next, or like the next room is hardwood, he's like freaked out about crossing over <laughs> the, <laughs> the different textured threshold. The, uh, you know? the, the wood floor is lava. Yeah. Or like vice versa. So like this house like has like several different textures and every time he's just like, mm, what's going to happen? Like, mm. <laughs> like, eh. you know, it's like, it's all right, man. Like you're going to be OK. Um, Johan Ekberg asks, who are your top three Swedish penguins? Oh, man. I was not prepared for this question. Oh, Samuelson um, right off the jump. Uh, the, right. I mean, yeah, right off the chop. Yeah. And. Patrick Hornquist should probably be one, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Marcus Naslin's got to be on the list. Oh man, that's a good pick. E- even even uh, even though his best days came after he left Pittsburgh, still played here though. Yeah. Yeah, like, but still, like, just the fact that he like does that not sum up the late '90s, early 2000s Penguins of like, look at this guy, and boy, did we give up on him quick. Right. Like Andrew Ferrans uh, was a peng- was a penguin. Yeah, and yeah, I know that. But that goes away from the question. Think. I mean, Alfie's definitely up there. You got to give Hornquist a spot. So that I mean, I loved I loved Johan Hedberg. I mean, he's not one of the best. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you can't. But what? But, you know, he didn't have that. But what a fun time that was, man! Dude, it was just such a fun time. You know, like what a journey that was. Like watching the what, like um, seeing the. The sign on the parkway get changed from Heidelberg. 79. Or, yeah, 79. Yeah. To Heidelberg, from Heidelberg to Spray painted Hedberg. Oh, man. Uh, It might, the third spot might have to go to Hedberg just for the memory. I'm really just, I'm really feel like I'm missing, we're missing somebody grossly obvious. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think Alfie, Hornquist, and Hedberg are. A good trio of parents. Yeah. Good question. That's a hell of a I'm, question. I'm, sh- I'm sure if we're missing a big one, we'll be told about it. Ah. Who is it? Let me just throw. Let me just throw two more at you. 
Thomas Sandstrom. Sandstrom's solid. I don't know if I'd put him in my top three, but... But you have to admit, though, like, his time of impact with the Penguins, although brief, was nonetheless impactful. Oh, it was great. But, like... <laughs> I mean, 35 goal score for the Penguins in 96. No. Unstoppable on video games. Oh, he was the... Like, if you had him in NHL 96 or 97, you were scoring a couple. And I got to throw this one out for longevity, Dick Tarnstrom. Oh, yeah. the Rick and Dick connection. Who led the Penguins in points in, I believe, 2003 with 52. <laughs> <laughs> you were so In 80 bad. games. He had 52. I'm looking at it right now. He had 52 points, 16 goals, 16 goals. As a defenseman, holy shit. Most of that was on the power play. He, he, he scored a lot of goals on the power play. 52 points in 80 games, minus 37. God, it's incredible. Here's some data from that 2003-2004 uh, Penguins team. They, the second highest scorer. Can you guess who had the second highest most points on that team? Um, was it Rico Fata? No, Rico Fata, if you'll remember, Mike, Actually, this was before he. I can't believe I'm going to say this. It's before he found his scoring touch. <laughs> I don't know who was second. I got nothing. It was actually Alexei Morozov. Oh, that's right. Morozov was on the yeah, team. Yeah, he had 50, 50 points that year. Ryan Malone uh, had played 81 games that year 22 goals, 21 assists. Um, Milan Kraft so close to that twenty goal barrier. <laughs> oh, Milan Kraft with nineteen. Tomas Sarovi was out there that Dude, year. Dude, Sarovi in NHL two thousand three, unstoppable. There were a lot of players on this list who did not have a lot. Of, how about this? Here's <laughs> Jonathan Sim. I dude, no idea. <laughs> no idea. Uh, Mario at a point per game average. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Uh, looks like two more. Anakin Skylocker asks, what do the Penguins need to do to deepen their defense? Get healthy. I don't know that they got to do anything. Get healthy. Yeah, I mean, they played 12 guys. All right, that's pretty deep. Get healthy. Make sure they keep P.O. Joseph in the lineup at all costs. And Daniel Powers asks, are the Penguins capable of having a two-goal lead or win this season? It'll happen someday. Um, they do play Buffalo in the near future. Yeah, but we know how this team enjoys uh, letting... They don't play Buffalo for almost a month. Letting, though, so. letting bad teams hang on. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, I'll be curious to see when... Have they had a two-goal lead yet this season, or is that just like something no. it's perceived? They have not? I didn't think so. Nope. Has not happened. So... Like I knew the other night it was one nothing one one two one two two, but uh, might happen tomorrow. You never know. Could get one against the Caps. Well, one of those, well, because one of those goofy, goofy Capitals games. Well, because we've talked about two goal leads so many times on this podcast, you know they're going to have like a three nothing lead at some point tomorrow. I just feel like uh, I don't have any historic. I'm not looking at anything that indicates this or anything, but I just feel like Sunday afternoon games against the Caps are always wild. Every yeah, time. Like 6-5 or something. Especially, wait a minute. We, 
I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, remember when we had that blizzard in February? Wasn't it the same weekend as this? Don't we play the Don't we play the Caps like every Valentine's Day? It seems um, like no the the one you're thinking of was on Super Bowl Sunday, not on Valentine's Day. Mm. Oh yeah, too early. Yeah, I remember that one. It, it was like probably like February fourth, fifth, sixth, somewhere in there. Mm. But yes, this same time of the year. Well, um, stay warm this week. Snow is coming, eight to twelve. Oof. Not good. Not good. Um, Very excited. I don't have any, to leave any, the house. Anything? Any? Any parting words of wisdom for the folks before our next show? All right. <laughs> Nailed it. Any parting words of stupidity for our listeners before the next well, show? Well, listen to this whole hour, Ted. That's plenty of out words of stupidity from me. You're dumb enough already. <laughs> uh, well, we appreciate you. Uh, thanks for checking in with us. Uh, we'll be back uh, to talk about the – uh, more penguins uh, information here in the weeks to come. Week to come. Uh, for Mike, for Pat, uh, for myself, uh, this is dying live. Hey, wait a minute. Uh oh. Shout out to shout out to Chet for the new theme song at Mouse Rat Fan uh, on Twitter. Longtime friend of the pod and of all of us uh, hooked us up with a new theme song and it's dope. Oh,